0: As many of you know, I am recently returned from a three-month sabbatical, which was a wondrous thing. And it is a wondrous thing to be back, too. I've been doing a lot of thinking in the three weeks now that I've been back. I like that. I always like symmetry, you know, three months away and three weeks back. And I've been thinking a lot about what that time away means, how it informs how I am now that I am back. And I recall in my last week of sabbatical, I tried to be especially intentional that last week about the things that I did. I returned to the journal, you might remember the journal that I did for the first two weeks, and then, you know, and then the last week again. I tried to be so intentional in that last week, and one of the things that I did was I spent a quiet day up at a silent retreat center near Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's called Spring, and I recommend it to you. They have quiet days about once a month, once every six weeks. They're open to the public, they're free, and they are simply silence in a beautiful space. So I went up there the Tuesday of that final week of sabbatical. And I had my quiet time, and at the very end, you kind of come together at the end in a closing circle. And, um, and, I, and you, you do speak then. And, um, and I met another person who was there finishing up his three-month sabbatical and being intentional about that finishing. And as we talked afterward, he said, you know, what I tried to do during my sabbatical was to practice being a human being instead of a human doing. And I thought, huh, huh, that might be good practice. That day at Day Spring, that silent retreat day, was a condensed version of the best of what sabbatical held for me. And it was very much about being, being a human being. I walked that day in green spaces. I looked out onto the vista and the farmland. I rested and closed my eyes. I read and I wrote, but I, I read and wrote just what I wanted to, you know, with, with no structures put around that. I had the chance to be in the moment, in the space, without any particular demands on my time. And then, about four days later, I came back. I came back on a Sunday morning, and I feel as though I have been going since then, and it has been wonderful. I came back excited, and I came back greeted by energy, ideas, planning for the year to come, preparing for the months ahead. There has been so much to do in these three weeks so much to do. This could be the anthem of modern life, I think. Whether we work outside the home, whether we care for children within the home, we are caught always in this experience of the do, do, do. Thich Han put it this way, we lead extremely busy lives, he wrote, even though we do not have to do as much manual labor as people in former times, we never seem to have enough time for ourselves. I know people, Thich Nhat Hanh wrote, who say they do not even have enough time to eat or breathe, and it appears to me to be true. <laughs> and yet even with all of that doing, we feel at the same time a yearning, For that experience of simply being, being a human being, as my fellow retreater put it, without boundaries and structures on our time, we know that that kind of time is good for us. I was fascinated to read some of the research coming out recently about psychologists who are prescribing green space for their clients. Who, who can see the mental health benefits of being among plants out in the green world. But how do we find that time? There's the trick. The time to just be, as John Moffat wrote in our reading, to be the thing you see, to enter into the small silences between the leaves. It's hard for all of us, I think, who are caught up in the busyness that life can offer, and sometimes I think it is especially hard for those of us who are engaged in the world of justice-making, who look around and see all that is not right with the world, all that is not yet what we hope the world might be. How then can we take the luxury of that time to just smell the roses when Rome or Baltimore where St. Louis is burning. I struggle with that challenge myself. Now, it's not always so noble that I'm looking out at what is wrong in the world and all I want to do. Sometimes it is my email that seems to be burning, relentlessly burning. But sometimes, indeed, it is that pull toward justice, toward all that is left to be done. The struggle is not, in fact, a new one, though we may feel that it is sort of uniquely part of our modern life. There is an age-old struggle between doing and being. In the Christian tradition, you might know about the faith versus works, Um, I don't know what to say, Uh, controversy argument balance in the end. You know, you might recall from history or from Sunday school the idea that some traditions said faith comes first and some traditions within the Christian tradition said works comes first. At its most simplistic, and remember that anything simplified is probably at least half wrong, at its most simplistic, we often associate evangelical Christianity with an emphasis on faith, the idea that belief is the most important thing, and social gospel Christianity with works, so many mainline Christian denominations who focus on charity and service, advocacy, changing the world. In reality, it's more like, where does the impetus come from, I think? Do you start with faith and out of that walk into works in the world, or do you start with works, with your hope to change the world, and walk from there into faith. In the Buddhist tradition, that struggle comes out in in some of the differences between a kind of engaged Buddhism, the term often used when talking about Thich Nhat Hanh and his disciples, a Buddhism that works deeply in the world, and then the, the hermit monks that we see in many different Buddhist traditions away and apart from the world, in a kind of secluded monasticism. It can also be understood within the Buddhist tradition as the idea of being saved by bringing the whole world with you or being saved in an individual way, reaching nirvana oneself and exiting the strife of the world. And what about for us? Where does our salvation come from? Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, had a phrase I just love. He said that our work is to save our souls alive. He, he used that phrase in the context of the ethical culture impulse to do work out in the world, that impulse to, to change the world, to work for justice, very much a part of Felix Adler's uh, motive for founding the movement. And he said it to offer a caution that at the heart we needed an awareness of and an attention to our inward selves, our souls, as Adler put it in his time, that we care for our own moral life, a kind of salvation, a call to being as well, not just to doing. We are not, Adler said to us, just about the salvation of the world. We are too, about the salvation, the saving of our souls alive for ourselves. I think this is one of the challenges of humanism, actually. The broad movement within which ethical culture finds its home. We humanists sometimes get caught in the trap of thinking we are solely in charge of that salvation of the world, that justice-making, that world we hope will be. And, and this is the real stickler, to get there, we have to be doing and doing and doing all the time, never ceasing. It's a challenge, really, of liberal religion writ large, the the works side of faith and works taking on a prominence beyond possibility, a kind of hamster wheel of justice-making. And then... We are confronted with the reality that all that doing hasn't yet created what we hope, doesn't always get us there. Like many of you, perhaps, I have been watching the news out of St. Louis the last few days and weeks trying to even understand what is happening there. As I read mainstream media and people's Twitter feeds and the Facebook posts of friends I trust who are there, who are themselves trying to understand. And mostly what I feel is mourning and grief. Mostly what I see is how broken it is, how terribly broken the policing system is, the trust is, and a feeling that, Here on my other end of those Facebook posts, there is nothing I can do. These are the times when we need, I think, to just be. When the way to show respect for our mourning, for the grief in the world is to be with it, to sit with it, to notice it. We need in those times, in times of trauma in the world or trauma in our own lives, the most intimate kind of grief, to find green spaces, silent retreats. But then I wonder, are they only two ends of a spectrum, being and doing. I went back to that silent retreat center, to Spring uh, about a week and a half after I started back at work. I had made a commitment to myself that I would go back for the next month's quiet day, knowing that I would not be on sabbatical anymore. And I can't even tell you I was so close to not going. <laughs> I was so close because I had so many emails i hadn 't responded to. Probably some of you sitting in this room are wondering why you haven 't gotten that email back. <laughs> I was so close to not going because there was so much I needed to do here and out in the world, and choices are hard, you know. But I had made a commitment to myself, and so I drove up to seventy to Gaithersburg. And I wondered what it would be like this time. And it wasn't the same. Of course it wasn't the same, right? I walked the same as I had before, and I read and I wrote. But this time I had things I had to read and I had to write because I had a board meeting that night. (laughs) This time I had things I was planning And this time, I brought with me a different kind of energy to that day, a different edge, an edge of excitement, of joy, of possibility, but an edge nonetheless. I was in that space in a different way. I wasn't exactly just being while I was there. But it also wasn't exactly as though I had stayed in the office and done that reading and writing. You know what I mean? The reality of my life, and probably for many of you, is that I cannot, even if I wanted to, and let's be honest, I'm a huge extrovert, I probably don't want to, but I cannot take hours a day just to be only. And so the question becomes, I think, how can we be while we are doing? Buddhism has so much to teach us about this task, about the combination of being and doing, being while doing. I turned for my sources of wisdom for this platform addressed to Thich Nhat Hanh, the teacher within Vietnamese Buddhism and founder of the Order of Interbeing and of Plum Village community in France, and to the practice of Zen Buddhism in a sweet little volume called Sweeping Changes, Discovering the Joy of Zen in Everyday Tasks by Gary Thorpe. It has chapters about your refrigerator and cleaning it. I think often when we think about practices of Buddhism in many different forms, and remember, of course, that the way the Christian tradition is large and the Jewish tradition is large, so too the Buddhist tradition has many different aspects in many different countries and different practices. But when we think About Buddhism, I think we often imagine the seated practice, sitting zazen within the Zen tradition, that practice of simply sitting and being, focusing on breath. But key to the practice of Buddhism is really living the tradition, engaging in mindfulness throughout life, not only when seated. In the foreword to that book, Sweeping Changes, perhaps the only Zen book to feature a broom on the cover, Zen teacher Edward S.B. Brown talks about his own teacher. He writes, "Kadagiri Roshi, it was a joy to see the energy flowing through him as he applied paste wax to the zendo floor. How could waxing the floor be that important? Yet there he was, devoting himself to this mundane task. As he would sometimes say in later years, the meaning of life is to live. Few people, in my opinion, have lived floor polishing the way he did. What is that, to live floor polishing? It's such an evocative image, I think, to live floor polishing, to be the thing you see. As Gary Thorpe puts it later in the book, in order to bake good bread, we must do it over and over until we become bread. We must put ourselves into the oven just as we put ourselves into everything else that we do. It is only then that we know what bread is and what we are. We must become bread. Now, before we get lost in Zen koans, koans are the riddles that are the heart of Zen teaching, like you must become the bread, and which I'll just mention in the way that mystical forms of many traditions are related are very similar in form to the parables that Jesus tells us often asking us to be deeply present in the moment. Before we get lost then in a world religions survey of mindfulness riddles, I want to say there is no huge spiritual awareness, no spiritual uh, study, no PhD required to practice mindfulness. It is in fact available to all of us. You can do it, right now. Sometimes when I think my platform's not that great, I comfort myself by imagining that at least all of you will have an hour seated with leaves to look at (laughs) and people of goodwill around you. An hour like that is a precious thing. But let's pretend you're listening right now. I want to invite you to shift from listening to really be listening. You might want to move your body or not. It really calls just for a subtle shift of awareness to notice here I sit. Listening. And not just listening. I am a listener. You can do this, you know, anytime at home or here at Wes. Plenty of little tricks to help you remember that don't require any great training. Three breaths before eating as a meal is placed before you. Thich Nhat Hanh recommends, because we don't have bells, as they did in his Vietnamese village and in the European villages of old, that we take a breath and pause when the telephone rings. We have plenty of those bells. Sometimes I like to take a dance break when the telephone rings. It kind of depends on the ring, really. Gary Thorpe recommends a few moments in your day to just sit. You might use those moments, he says, in actual meditation, using breathing techniques or whatever meditative form you enjoy, or you might just sit. It's not rocket science, sitting. But it's so hard to do. The challenge, I think, is to remind ourselves of the preciousness and also the efficacy of sitting like that, of that time in the midst of life, and how it helps us with the doing later. Ticknot Han tells a story about a little girl who was um, staying at Plum Village, the community in France, and um, who came to play with some little um, children in the village and uh, was thirsty. And so he poured four glasses of juice for them, and hers was the last glass. And so it was uh, it was apple juice, and it was full of the pulp. You know how the end of the of the gallon of apple juice has that pulp in it. So she was um, four years old. Some of you might have ever met a four-year-old and um, of course she didn't want to drink it because it was yucky. And he said um, with um, I can only assume um, Buddhist grace and also good parenting boundaries, well that is the juice that we have. You may drink it or not. So she didn't. She went off and came back later and said I'm still thirsty and he said well why don't you have that juice that's on the counter. And she went over and in the hour that she had been playing, the juice had settled. The pulp was at the bottom, and she had a clear glass of juice. And she said, Uncle Monk, is this like what you are doing when you sit? Is the apple juice trying to be like you? And Thich Han says, it would be better to say, I am trying to be like the apple juice, <laughs> letting things settle. He writes, the apple juice became clear after resting a while, in the same way if we rest in meditation a while, we too become clear. This clarity refreshes us and gives us strength and serenity. And we can be better than a glass of apple juice, he goes on. Not only can we settle peacefully while sitting still, we can also do it while standing, lying down, walking, or even working. With our justice work, especially, I think about how much richer the experience can be if while we do that work, we are not just doing but being the work. If we can become the bread, you know, not just seeking to create racial justice out in the world by marching and standing with our signs, but being racial justice seekers. Not just working to protect the environment, but being environmentalists. In our sister community in El Salvador, the village of El Rodeo, our delegation goes there and they do things together. That's true. But a lot of what they do is just to be together. They just talk and sit and listen. They are with each other in partnership. What would happen to the world to our own work and to those souls we are trying to save alive that is to say our own if we were to fully be our justice work our reading work, our learning work, our working Charles Eisenstein the author of the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible talks about the urgency with which we often do work for justice in the world and he cautions us to be aware that if we don't have a sense of connection underneath that urgency if we have not been thoughtful and mindful if we not if we have not been with the work, that our action, our urgency is just one more go, go, go in a world that is already hurting in part because everybody is going and going and going, doing and doing and doing. Instead, he advocates taking action with a full awareness of our connection in the world, our interbeing. He uses the same word that Thich Han does. Eisenstein, who is a justice advocate himself par excellence, says that part of our justice work is simply being together, laughing and loving and sitting. Faith versus works. Where I wonder would ethical culture fall in that old argument? Adler, who founded an entire religious movement, on the idea of creating a more ethical culture out there, cautioned us, remember, to look to ourselves, saving our own souls alive, saving them alive, keeping them awake. The Buddha, when asked if he was God or man, answered, I am awake. I am awake. When we act for justice, when we parent our children, when we drive to work on the Beltway, or get a cup of coffee, or talk to a friend, do we do so awake? And how much more might we do those things if we can become them, if we can be them in the doing? I'm glad I went back to that retreat center, even though it wasn't quite the same. I'm glad that I had the chance to see that even in the midst of the doing, there is a possibility of being at the same time. And so I invite us all to try it. Just for today. Before you take an action, take a breath. You're doing that anyway. You might as well notice. Take another and be.